0: A 19th century symphonic poem to wake the dead. A haunting 70s rock classic. And a spine-tingling song from the horror punk subgenre. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. So just in time for Halloween, and as if this year hasn't been scary enough, we wanted to do an episode here on the podcast featuring songs that give you the chills. So joining me on this deep dive into some spooky tracks are my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and our very dear friend, actor, director, and musician, Ari Stidham. You might recognize Ari for his work as Sylvester on the CBS series Scorpion, and you might know him from the music that he releases under the name Dr. Television. Ari really is just such a creative and funny dude, and I'm just so thankful that we were able to get him on the podcast with a very fun theme like we have for this episode. We get into all kinds of things on this episode, like which Halloween candy best accompanies each track, the first and last time I ever staged dove, and whether we've heard the Monster Mash or just a song about the Monster Mash. And just a friendly reminder before we dive in that we have a free podcast companion course over on soundfly.com. If you're looking to dive a little deeper into some of the topics we mentioned on the podcast or get additional insights and resources, be sure to check out the free Themes and Variation companion course. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd really love to support the show, please consider subscribing to soundfly.com. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode...
1: Songs That Give You The Chills!
0: (laughs) Just to kick things off for both of you, uh, are there any songs that you considered for our theme of Songs That Give You The Chills, uh, but didn't end up picking? Uh, Ari, I know we talked pretty quickly before the pod, and it seemed like you had it pretty zeroed in on what you were going to do, but was there anything else that you considered?
2: Yeah, I considered the Scooby-Doo theme song, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, Where Are You? We Got Some Work to Do Now, that song. Um, I also considered Monster Mash. Um,
3: Can I ask you a question about the Monster Mash that oh, Carter's going to roll Here his eyes go.
0: Yeah, go ahead.
3: So I saw just a... There's like this Reddit thing that comes up around this time every year that I am a little obsessed with, which is just the question, have we heard the actual Monster Mash or have we only heard a song about the Monster Mash? Wow. Carter's like very sick great of this. Great question. I still don't have an answer.
2: No, that's a great question. Um, Good job, Reddit. <laughs> yeah. The conceit of the song is that there's a dance that every monster does and there's a party where every monster And all the ends, lyrics are right? in past tense. I was working in the mm-hmm. lab late last right? night, <laughs> where my eyes beheld such a
3: blank, to, like, blank, blank, blank sight. The not but, they're currently doing it.
0: But hold up, the the second to last verse is now everything's cool. Drax part of the band, uh, and my monster mash is the hit of the land for you, the living. This mash, this <laughs> mash this was meant to. <laughs> When you get to my door, tell them Boris sent you. For you, the living, this mash that I am singing to you right now is meant to it is the most nonsensical argument that I have to deal with every year seemingly and uh it's you're, this here in the mash w- w- yeah w- can you can you read that lyric <laughs> one more time for you the living this, for you the living this mash was meant to this mash the mash that you're yeah but mash can right mean now. multiple I, things I,
3: right like it could be the dance it could also be him offering you a drink or this Bro. song yeah or this other song because good point
2: because the the name of the song is the monster mash right so there's the song called the monster mash there's also the dance which is what the song is about the song is named after the dance it's like it's like a movie called steve jobs is not the man steve (laughs) jobs (laughs) what about the twist then but wait a second there's a dance called the twist and then there's songs called twist Mm -hmm. and shout twist in the night away I thought there yeah, was a song the twist. do
0: the twit. Oh, you're right. There is a song called Do the Twit. I think twist. my main frustration with this is that I I deep I don't know. I truly don't know what the <laughs> answer is or either, what the solution that's is. Part of the I but I want to care. I want to take a stand on something so stupid as this argument whether the monsters were mm-hmm. actually dead. I think that was the, when it, that question was posed. It Who's was Boris. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> That's the other thing. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell him Boris sent you.
2: Who's Boris. Who's
0: Boris? <laughs> Boris? <laughs> Who in
1: God's name question. is
0: Boris? <laughs> let's, uh, I'm ready to dive in. Dive into some oh. tracks. May you, uh, let's, let's dig into your track first. And, uh, as always, why don't we have a little listen here and, uh, get into it. So, Mahaya, what are we getting the chills from right now?
3: So, the name of the piece is Dance Macabre. I'm going to say the composer's name one time, and then I'm not going to subject you to it again. Um, It's Dance Macabre by Camille Sanson. um,
1: (laughs) Camille Sanson.
3: I'm not going to say it again. (laughs) You've both heard it at some point. Yep. Do you guys yeah. remember where you would have heard it?
0: I I thought for sure it was like the theme to a television show. And then I went diving in. I couldn't find it as the actual theme song, but it was used in an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. So I, I'm sure I heard it there. And I saw that it was also on a Jameson commercial. So I'm positive I heard <laughs> it there.
3: Ari, have you experienced this song somewhere you remember? Yes,
2: I have. Um... When I was younger, I don't know, 14, 15, it was on a playlist of Halloween songs at a choir party, and we had to do like um, this thing called diamond dance. Do you know what diamond dance is? No idea. So if you were to get in a diamond formation with somebody at the point, and then somebody off their two shoulders, and then one person behind them, it's sort of... They're making a diamond, mm-hmm. right, with their bodies. Yeah. Uh, you follow. You follow the leader as, as to like what their movement is. Um, and I'll always remember. Sort of the intro of this was just very comical because <laughs> we got in a diamond and it started to go, and it just, you know, the op- We you hear it. It sort of explodes in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and all of us are trying to follow the guy. Um, <laughs>
3: that sounds so, really fun, actually.
2: Yeah. It it was definitely fun. It was very Halloweeny, you know. Um, yeah. My intro, and I—I I honestly had never known the name of it, but I, you know, I'm positive it was in a lot of stuff. Like, what's that song that goes? dance you with plum
3: fairies, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think in in similar places, if you want to go more creepy, you know, this this song gets used uh, a lot yeah. more than than um, I think people realize.
3: It's the quintessential I want a track that sounds creepy, but I also kind of want to be classy. You know? <laughs> like it's it's the alternative to Monster Mash and things like that in many ways. So we just listen to the first minute or so. The first thing you hear is a harp pluck. So we hear the harp strike 12 times, which is meant supposedly to represent the clock striking midnight.
0: That sound gives me a an image of somebody just kind of walking up a very dark staircase. I, I just remember... Be like in the third grade, being terrified of the basement stairs, <laughs> like what was going yeah. on under that for whatever reason. And that, that, that sound, that pluck sound feels like maybe a nefarious character kind of gingerly walking <laughs> up these like creepy stairs. It has so. a
3: tiptoeing sound. I think harp too, we're so used to hearing multiple notes simultaneously, like whether it's like arpeggios or glissandos, we're not really used to hearing one note from a harp at a time in that way, then the real moment of this song telling you how creepy and bizarre it's going to be is when that solo violin comes in. And this is going to sound so technical and nerdy, but there is an arranging technique, I guess you'd call it, called score de tura. Basically, it's what happens when you Detune or retune one of the open violin strings to create an effect. So in this case, the top violin string is actually a little flat compared to where it would normally be, which just makes that whole thing sound a little extra dissonant and creepy. The violin being connected with the devil, that's happened so much in so many plays and pieces. Paganini supposedly sold his soul to the devil or whatever, all that stuff. Sasson, I said it twice, I lied, um, is a composer who I am not super familiar with. There's some pieces that I had to study in college, so I know those, kind of. He was basically a musical purist. So when guys like Debussy and Stravinsky came up, he had terrible things to say about a lot of what they did. He had, like, tabloid-style rivalries with other composers of the time. When he was asked about Debussy, he said that he thought his aesthetic was an atrocity when he saw Rite of Spring he told people that he felt that Stravinsky had to be insane to have written that piece of music <laughs> wow i don't know <laughs> you just forget that these old composers really were people though
0: like i'd be so bored back then without other like d- the devices that we have now so like yeah maybe just creating a rivalry or several rivalries is what you did for for fun so
3: one thing I wanted to point out, so you know how, like, common time often has a C instead of 4-4, four, four, and, like, that's just the normal thing we're used to seeing? So one thing that I was told when I was a child that I think is true, I haven't followed up on it, so I'm not 100%, like, don't quote me, um, was that that's not actually a C. It's an imperfect circle, like a broken circle, because um, the way they used to notate 3-4 was a circle because of its religious connections you know the trinity and all that so the fact that this song which is about the devil waking dead people up to go dance in the streets for one night is in that holy time signature was kind of interesting to me i was kind of hesitant to point things out because it's kind of fun to go try to find them for yourselves but there is a xylophone that is used kind of prevalently in a couple places
0: there was always a haunted house on on the neighborhood street where, like, there'd be the bowl full of grapes or spaghetti, and oh, it's spaghetti's brains and stuff. I feel like there's a musical equivalent yeah. of that. Like, ooh, that's kind of like bones.
3: I think it's the oboe towards the end that is meant to be um, the crowing of a rooster because daybreak ooh. has come and all the dead people have to go back to their graves, basically. Mm. This song is actually a tone poem, basically just a song that has some sort of non-musical inspiration or element to it that kind of tells you what to think about it. kind of weird right to have that melody sound so positive and happy but there's all this dissonance underneath it um there is a quote of a dies Ire chant that's used in the song which is a gregorian chant
0: all gregorian chanting to me i think is is incredibly creepy yeah not maybe not (laughs) sinister It's just so creepy like
3: it's like the basis for how we write melodies in the whole western world though Maybe that sure. makes it creepy. It's too powerful. Yeah. Um, the difference with how it's quoted here is it's switched to major, and it sounds very happy and light. Mm-hmm. Um, that little da-da-da-da. Usually minor, it's in major here, but it's being played against other instruments that are still in the minor key of the song. So they're really fighting each other because you have a melody that's very hopeful, but then you remember everybody's dead and dancing in the streets where you live. <laughs> yeah. The idea of like people gathering and joining in this dance—it reminded me of like a conga line. That's the closest I could I've come. That's to dance fair.
2: Dance. Or a monster
0: mash.
3: Sure, you know, like any dance that you just kind of get swept up in.
0: Yeah, I felt like I had known this song so much better than I actually did. Like when you when you hear that melody, you're like, "Oh, I know that! I know that!" But it's such a seasonal thing like it's it's like a christmas song but you're not absolutely inundated with it Mm. from the beginning of november till like even after christmas so
3: maybe it should be though sure maybe we should start playing dance macabre in like july and just let it run through the year I'd be fine with that.
2: That could work. It seems like it's the type of music that people back in the day who would have liked Nightmare Before Christmas would
0: have liked. Yes. It feels like it should be on that soundtrack. So if it's not, that is a huge mistake.
3: I wouldn't be surprised to hear that Danny Elfman drew a lot from... C'est son.
0: Saison. son. There's so many like orchestration and, and, and compositional techniques used on this track that are easy to miss, I think, because... It's such an imaginative piece of music.
3: It's interesting that you say that too cuz I think that um there's kind of two different ways to go about any experiment, right? There's the very calculated version, which I think is what this is, given the nature of the composer. Every choice you make, you have options you're assessing. It's not just like, well, I'm going to try this.
0: I do have a question to to put a to put a button on it that I am dying to know. Mm-hmm. Uh Mehea, which piece of Halloween candy would best accompany listening to this track? <laughs>
3: oh my gosh, Carter.
2: Great question.
3: That's so... You love these kinds that's of questions. so difficult, though.
0: Or I'll give you another... It could be a trick, too. It's a trick or treat. Is there a trick or a prank? That
3: no, uh, this is a good question. I'm genuinely trying to think about my answer, and I'll just throw something at you right now. I care about this.
2: Like the eyeballs... That are chocolate balls wrapped in tin eyeball,
3: mm, you know why? chocolate
2: balls because that's the most classic type of candy it's chocolate, mm-hmm. so mm. they probably existed back then, you know what I mean It's yeah. just sort of like a ball of chocolate. there's nothing really creepy about it, but you dress it up with this eye, and I bet you know I bet they could put those little chocolate balls in like skeleton in the holes of skeletons' eyes. Yeah, if they wanted to, you know, I'm just thinking about what they had back then.
3: Yeah, I think my answer is Ferrero Rocher. Rocher. See, I can't pronounce things that are French, but like, you know, like that one Ferrero Rocher you would get as a kid and it just felt so obvious the person didn't get enough candy. Maybe they were an older person and had to dig it out. Like, (laughs) perhaps it had been buried figuratively somewhere and got brought back Uh... out. I guess it's classy as far as, like, candy you buy in an airport goes. but
0: They're incredibly classy. I I would say (laughs) with 100% certainty, though, that I never... Got a Ferrero Rocher for Halloween.
3: Or like the C's candy, like that truffle Never. that didn't belong and it just felt like this person ran out of candy and happened to have these. Um, well, I do have I have two recommendations for people on this song. One, listen to it knowing that it's a tone poem and try to find things that happen in the music that maybe illustrate something that you'd picture visually there, whether it's like somebody crawling out of grave or whatever. The second recommendation that I would make is... Um, You know, for the past like two days, I listened to the song pretty much nonstop in headphones so as not to drive Carter insane. (laughs) It's really fun to listen to the song while doing everyday things. Like I may never make oatmeal (laughs) without this song again.
0: So, Ari, for the folks that somehow maybe don't know what this track is, <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about it. What are we listening to? We're listening to Hotel California by the Eagles. You know, we're talking songs that give you chills. I, when you mentioned, I'm just going to do Hotel California, Like I, my mind immediately went to, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. That'll totally work. So what kind of pushed you in, in this direction?
2: Gosh, I think it's because I knew... Like an inordinate amount about Don Felder um, from a from a young age, um, and you know he he came up with the song. He didn't come up with uh, lyrical content or the outline of how things went, but this idea of they called it like a Mexican reggae, right? Um, and that was his idea to do to do a song like that and that sort of arrangement. One of the bands that like is one of my big influences as a songwriter is Sublime. Um I feel like this song specifically is such a precursor to being able to mix Chicano culture Mexican culture um you know the California vibe and reggae you know what what a layman would call white boy reggae there's a there's an artist now called Eddie Zuko who has sort of put hip hop into it really mm-hmm. I think successfully and he's out of the inland Empire I really love his work
1: no I, I don't say it too. Much.
2: You can't talk about that type of music without mentioning this song. And then, you know, also songs that give me the chills, a lot of them are atmospheric. Um, a lot of them are are mood poems, and you don't really realize it. And then there are songs that stick with you, like Hotel California, that remain popular. So you don't think of them like, oh, that old song. This song is an, is a very old song. You know, it was in 76 that they released it. It still gets played on the radio so yeah. often.
0: Yeah. So it's, it is timeless. When I looked that up, and when yeah. it came out, I was like, "Oh man, I could have sworn it was like eighty something." But uh, yeah. I think it
3: almost gets hurt by how popular it is because you just forget yes. that it's actually a good song, you know, yeah. like Wonderwall or something like that.
2: <laughs> and this song is just so bold in how it approached being an Eagles record. It, mm. it, it's also the first the first time that Joe Walsh is a part of the Eagles, so that it's also the beginning of that era. The end of the song is a guitar battle between Felder and Walsh and I think that's not just indicative of what the story element is within the song but it's also indicative of like why he was a part of it he challenged mm. their ideas made them better you know and you could really see a new flavor come into the band that heightened it
1: the
0: last lyrics of you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. And the fact that it's just guitar battle and, and it never, the song never actually ends that guitar battle could still be going on. Like, yeah, you know, it feels like everything is about
2: the story. You know, my, my main means of making money is as an actor. And that's like very much a storyteller's position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in analyzing a script, or anything that I'd perform, any type of story, right? There's certainly a lot of boxes that need to get checked. So I I just, I don't know, I really appreciate when a song tells a good story, and this story has genre, and, you know, almost like you can feel the lighting. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. feel so many elements. Um, they really used everything that they could to paint a picture of this really scary hotel
3: it definitely paints a picture but it's not too much information like it's very rare that somebody goes on for like pages and pages with all this these superfluous details good songwriting can do that too and like you're saying this song does it so well it just like it puts you right in the situation it gives you just the right amount to still be able to use your imagination and there's a story arc (laughs) Hey Carter, have you heard about Soundfly's new subscription?
0: Let's say I haven't.
3: I think it's something you'd be super into. You know about Soundfly's courses, right?
0: Of course I do. Not only are they highly engaging, they make it possible for us to do this show.
3: Right, and you know about the premium courses, right?
0: You mean like modern pop vocal production or orchestration for strings?
3: Yep, or faders up one, modern mix techniques, introduction to making music in Logic Pro, or advanced synths and patch design for producers.
0: Or songwriting for producers?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, as a Soundfly subscriber, you'd get access to all of those and more. Plus, an invitation to our online community of students, mentors, and Soundfly team members, like you and me. A subscription's perfect if you want to explore at your own pace, but still like the idea of a helpful community of expert professionals and passionate hobbyists standing by, ready to help.
0: Wow, when you put it like that, it sounds like an existential conundrum for me personally, and a pretty sweet deal for just about anyone else.
3: It is a sweet deal for just about anyone, and it gets even sweeter. Anyone listening to this episode can use the code THEMES to get an exclusive discount at soundfly.com, because it's Soundfly... We want to help you reach your musical goals.
2: And You know, I think there's also, it's called Hotel California for a lot of reasons. Of course, they have the California sound that everybody reacted to. I think that there's a a deep interpretation having to do with what everybody knows about California and how it, it is Mexico. It's not the United States of America in a lot of ways it doesn't match up with everybody else's sound because it's not Dixie. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, the beat in New York. It's completely and totally different. So it's the implied battle, if not literally the guitar battle, but the the Mm -hmm. battle of, you know, what is California? Is it just a a hotel? Because (laughs) we stole it. Um, (laughs) But but, uh, uh, I don't want to digress too much there because I know they – They've said a lot about what the song's about. There's a, a novel by John Fowles called The Magus, or The Magus. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's about a guy who might be an ex-Nazi. Uh, mm-hmm. And M- Michael Caine played it in the movie. And they were, I guess they were watching the movie, Glenn Fry and Don Henley. And they wanted to write a song that felt like it could be a scene in this movie. So you have this long intro to really set up, mm-hmm. what are we listening to, and then on a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, the warm smell of Kalitas rising up through the air. I mean, that... G- you yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> You're in it. They would drive through. You know, California back then was a lot more open. Yeah. And they'd be able to drive into the night. So, yeah, people have said that it's it, it's CSUCI, which used to be a mental institution in Camarillo. Um, and so I was able to go and visit that spot. It's close to my hometown in Westlake Village. Um And I would listen to the song, you know, uh, just a degenerate young stoner listening to that song, (laughs) singing along to it, shredding my vocal cords. That or Sublime, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, that or Sublime, of course. And there's something really magical about it because it's a take on hedonism, it's a take on like cannibalism, Mm. Um, but so many of those lyrics are poking for like. The line they stab them with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast is literally a nod to Steely Dan. Some incredible musicians, probably some of the best recording artists that have ever lived or songwriters. Mm -hmm. And the Eagles are not thought of at that level. And I think that's...
3: Do you think it's a burn?
2: I don't think it's a burn because... it sounds like one. No, 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 no. I think think it's poking fun at the fact that the Eagles are good too. (laughs) Check out the end of the song. Literally, the the musicality of this song is it's not a simple song you know no. and and where they take it and the freedom with which they play their instruments and get to the melodies that are in there you know it, it they recorded it twice in LA and once in Miami they they did a lot of work on it to no. to make it sound like a a masterpiece and you can tell it stands the test of time you know one of the reasons why the protagonist says calitas in the third line of the song is because he's not a white guy like mm. the the protagonist is a mexican person um and so when he at the end he says please bring me my wine and the captain says i haven't had that spirit here since 1969 yeah. there's a socio-political statement happening mm. um and I think it goes over people's heads.
3: Yeah, I never thought um, that. But, it
0: went over mine, for be, sure. It's been... They,
2: they speak about it overtly, and, and Henley spoke about it overtly in an, in an article in The Rolling Stone. Oh, you know what? It wasn't Rolling Stone. It was The Plain Dealer. He says, Thanks for the tutorial, and no, you're not the first to bring this to my attention, and you're not the first to completely misinterpret the lyric and miss the metaphor. Ooh. Believe wow. me, I've consumed enough alcoholic beverages in my time to know they are ma- how they are made and what the proper nomenclature is. But that line in the song, so I called it the captain, please bring me my wine, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969, has little or nothing to do with alcoholic beverages. It's a sociopolitical statement. My only regret would be having to explain it in detail to you, which would defeat the purpose of using literary devices in songwriting.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: You know, I think the, the various characters in there have a lot to do with the people that were lost um, and what people thought of California at the time. And then it has be- become such a a, a tentpole um, for what people think of when they think of California.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I, this whole song has a, a little bit of a purgatory or voyage of the damned feel, depending mm-hmm. on the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's like a much, in some ways, a Feels like a, an even darker version of like piano man or something like that you know where you have these characters <laughs> yeah. who have made choices um and i think those moments when the words don't meet your expectation are probably the ones that are worth really thinking about like you know the use of the word spirit spirit has two meanings that's great captain yeah. probably similarly has a connotation that just we don't catch quickly mm-hmm. um like you said, the song is a lot more loaded than people realize.
2: <laughs> yeah, very loaded. And I think that's i think that's why everybody who liked it had a different reason to like it. The mm. people who were smart enough to, you know, uh, analyze it and decipher some meaning got that out of it. The people who just wanted to listen to it because it was a new groove that they hadn't quite heard. Right. Eng- English lyrics over, you know they they were into it for that i mean it it beat fleetwood mac dreams i mean it mm. beat so many things for the record of the year uh when it won mm-hmm. um they didn't so, go mean,
3: right like didn't they not show up in person for that award i think i, they I believe I,
2: be- I believe you're right
3: i don't remember I, but yeah
2: i believe you're right anyway <laughs> um but I, 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 didn't, I didn't do enough research about that. I, I, I'm like I just, just
3: remembering something I think my dad said one time. when I was young. Yeah, I could be totally wrong.
0: I, I, um. I also, I wanted to like. This song to me is one of the best guitar hero songs ever, like to, to, to oh, be in yeah. the game. And yeah. I'm reminded of that because like we bought a PlayStation just to get well not just, but like there's a new guitar hero. And it had <laughs> dude, like the main songs on it were like Ed Sheeran and the Lumineers and stuff. Sons, but, yeah. Like how how are these guitar hero songs? Like
3: there's not a lot of guitar heroes anymore.
0: It's a great song for Guitar Hero.
2: I there's also one more thing I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is Jimmy Buffett made a musical of Margaritaville called Escape to Margaritaville. (laughs) And the guy who wrote the script to that, or the book to that, rather, um, he created My Name is Earl. His name's Greg Garcia. He he does does a bunch of work. He's very funny. He was talking about working with Buffett on a podcast, and he said that Jimmy Buffett... Would curse the eagles because they didn't listen to him when he told them they should open a hotel, California. <laughs> this song is so big
3: yeah. that
2: in in the seventies yeah. they could have started a chain of hotels. That's I so mean, funny. and it w- they'd still be open today. Margaritaville, those restaurants, they're st- they're still open. They're still open.
0: Ari, of, of course the uh, the question I asked Mahea <laughs> It seems so inappropriate <laughs> for this song, but uh, what Halloween treat or candy would would you associate with Hotel California? Or any libations? You know, it could be it could be something yeah,
2: else. Yeah, you know, I always think of those Yarito sodas, <laughs> ah. the green the green Yarito soda, so which yeah. has about as much sugar as a as a piece of candy. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm also, you know, I love a Kit Kat myself.
0: Nice. So.
3: I feel like this song is like a chili-infused dark chocolate that fell behind the bed, <gasps> and then you find it, and you're like, <laughs> should I? Like, I'm gonna.
0: That is perfect.
2: This like, is an episode that's... about
3: old candy.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. This is a Whitman sampler from 2006. <laughs>
0: Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> are listening, of course. to the Misfits track "Scream." Had either of you heard this song uh, before? I I shared it with you. No.
3: I had not. I would like to know if you heard this song oh. before you went looking for a song for this episode.
0: <laughs> that real. That honestly really bums me out. Okay. I. Uh, well. Yeah. This. This is gonna. <laughs> very illuminating for you, I think. Ari, had you uh, do you have much Misfits experience? Like, what do you guys think of when you think of the band Misfits? I really don't have much.
3: You know, I grew up in a, an action sports family. Right. There's a lot of punk fans in both surfing and skating, <laughs> so that's what I associate them with.
2: There's a t-shirt that says The Misfits.
3: Yeah, the t-shirt I, for sure. I
2: know the t-shirt more
0: than I know any
2: music. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think you guys both hit on exactly how I came to get into this band a little bit. So I, I remember in high school, the kids that were like kind of maybe a little sketchy or like the troublemakers, they always like had a Misfits shirt or like the <laughs> denim the denim vest with uh, the no. cutoff sleeves and like a giant Misfits uh, like uh, patch that would be safety pinned on, but they all like maybe like had also had an anarchy patch, yeah. which was weird in Sherwood park, Alberta, yeah. that these kids had anarchy patches on their shirts. <laughs> and stuff. But I was into skateboarding. I was a terrible skateboarder. I was much more inclined with snowboarding and, and much more into it. So I, w- my friends and I, we'd always buy up these snowboarding videos on VHS. Every snowboarder of course would pick their song for their part in the video. And, more often than not, I would look at the credits at the end of the video and be like, what song was that? And oh, it's a Misfit mm-hmm. song. It's a Misfit song. That's okay. Uh of course this was in the era of you know, burning CDs mm-hmm. and I'd have a disc man and and wherever I went snowboarding, I would have these burned discs and, and the misfits were always on it. This track, <laughs> Scream, uh, Helena. Uh, pretty gory at times. That's certainly how it starts. But that song, Dig Up Her Bones, I also put on all <laughs> of my, these song titles are insane. Scream was always on my disc band. I, you know, definitely had gotten a few concussions, as, as you guys can tell. And I can't say I vividly remember because it was a concussion, but this track was on the disc um, where I probably got my heaviest one, and and just like fell, uh, hitting a hitting a little backcountry booter uh, out in the mountains, and so this track probably played while it was just totally unconscious on a mountain somewhere.
2: <laughs> so, what's a
0: booter? A booter is just like a big jump. Okay. Um, the other reason I I picked this track, seeing I, I saw the band live in Edmonton, where I'm from, uh, the summer I was back home from my first semester at Berkeley, and I swear it was one of the most fun musical experience I've ever had in my life. That concert was absolutely incredible. My friend Pat Wilson and I went to it. It was at the Starlight Room. The Starlight Room was this old venue. I think it still exists, but like the back of the room would flow uh, downwards to the middle of the room and the same with the front. So it was like the hull of a ship. It's like maybe a 1200 cap room. So it's a big room, crazy mosh pits at the show. I have no idea who the opening band was. All I remember is the Misfits. And I, I, it's such a visceral experience hearing those cutting loud guitars, the bass with like a, a kind of grimy mm. tone to it. So Jerry Only is is singing. When you think of the Misfits, you probably think of Jerry Only, maybe Glenn dancing, but very likely. The guy with like the stripe of hair down the middle of his face, that's Jerry Only. This band has had so many different iterations of it, but one of the mainstays has been Jerry only. Jerry Caifa is actually his real name. So uh, mm-hmm. so we're at, I'm in Edmonton, I'm at the show. I never staged Dove before in my life, but a lot of people are doing it at the show. I am getting swept up in the energy of this Misfits concert. I jumped on stage in a moment where there wasn't anybody else jumping on. I thought I was getting <laughs> going to be doing it when a lot of people were doing it. And I was just up there by myself, Jerry only takes his pick hand off from his bass while he's playing, grabs me by the neck, holds me up in front of the audience, literally like lifts me off the ground and off the stage. <laughs> a pit forms around me on stage and he tosses me into it and I get caught by, by everybody in the crowd. And it was the most exhilarating musical experience <laughs> of my life. It was so awesome.
3: As a bass player, are you waiting for that full circle moment then when you get to throw a guy off stage? <laughs>
0: Jerry Only is a big guy. Like I'm not nearly as strong as him, so I don't think if the roles were reversed. But like, if a little
3: guy hops on stage, will you throw him off? I mean, would that be big for you?
0: Yeah. Um, So let's. I want to dive into the band. I I know it's. It's. I I didn't know a lot about just the members and everything. I I knew Jerry Only or of Jerry Only because when somebody throws you off stage, you you get to (laughs) to know who they are a little bit. Are you might actually dig getting into them a little bit because they clearly have like a ton of influence from a classic rock and roll and like rockabilly yeah. the songs hybrid moments and saturday night are both super super clear examples of that influence I don't know what people called parties maybe like box socials or something in the 50s but if there was a monster box social The Misfits would be perfect for that like absolutely perfect for that um, so Glenn Danzig are you guys familiar with Danzig yeah. at all he went off and did his own so like CKY yeah. that that. so they're influenced certainly by Danzig and like all the CKY videos and stuff there's Danzig tunes Uh, but Danzig uh, origin- it was the original member of the group. He named the group after Marilyn Monroe's last film, The Misfits. Uh, he mm. recruited drummer Manny Martinez for the band. This is my favorite piece of Misfits trivia. Martinez saw a bass in the back of Jerry Caifa's car when it was just parked randomly at a neighbor's house. And just based on seeing the bass in the back of a car, he asked Jerry Caifa to join The Misfits. And that's... That's, That's how so the one mainstay member of the band... He'd, he'd only been playing bass for two weeks at the time, and he joined <laughs> the Misfits. And uh, they released uh, their first single, Horror Business, uh, in June of 1979. The cover, this is important, because the cover of which featured a skeletal figure inspired by a poster from the 1946 film, The Crimson Ghost. The band actually also has a song called the Crimson Ooh. Ghost. It's, it's all right. It's not one of my favorites, but it, it's a good... That figure obviously became a mascot for the band. Uh, that skull image would serve as the Misfits logo for like the rest of their career, which is still going on to this day. The band also, this is my favorite, the band also launched a fan club called The Fiend club which Danzig operated <laughs> out of his mother's basement <laughs> so wait he was,
3: operated a fan club for his band
0: yeah the fiend club like like people would send in uh you know letters to the band and like you gotcha. know, so they they you could join the fiend club I don't know uh what that all entailed maybe you got a patch or something and and you put it on your denim vest or something I, I don't know really what on um the the band has had a lot of turmoil throughout just like members lots of different members. Um, lots of illegal battles between members, particularly Danzig and, and Jerry Only. Uh, they've since, I think, reconciled. They went back out on the road in 2017, I think. So, in, in, in October '93, the band was playing their annual Halloween show when their new drummer, Brian Damage, the names of every that they choose to use for every mm, band, was mm-hmm. amazing. But Brian Damage <laughs> got way too drunk. Played a couple of songs, clearly did not have it that night. Uh, he was escorted off stage, replaced by an opening band's drummer, and then Glenn Danzig announced to the audience that this would be the band's final show forever. Oh my
3: gosh, that's so crazy.
0: <laughs> but this song, Scream, uh, the song was written by Michael Graves, who is the vocalist, um, Jerry only, of course, on bass, <laughs> Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein on guitar. <laughs> And Dr. Chud on drums. So there's, there's your lineup. One of my favorite stories about this track and and its inception, Scream was written in a parking lot in Seattle while the Misfits were on tour. And when I read that, I was like, man that's really impressive that they wrote it in a parking lot, but the lyrics are, it's one verse that repeats and one <laughs> course that repeats. There's not a lot going on to it. Uh, but the band had learned that director Wes Craven, of course, you guys remember Wes Craven uh, was interested in using uh, a misfit song for his upcoming film, Wishmaster, but instead the band decided to submit a song for the upcoming movie, Scream 2. Well, we heard there the, you know, we're in the key of B flat minor and you're moving from the one chord to the flat seven to the flat six. And then you have the third time that comes around, the guitar plays a C over that flat seven, that A flat chord, which gives it just a little bit more tension as it lands then on a D flat chord. So this song is just purely power chords, but there's still some some interesting harmony kind of at play with it
3: punk in general is a genre that i think i always forget i like more than i expect to yeah the spirit of it doesn't get overly lost in technical attributes you know it's just kind of like this is what we feel let's get caught up in it
2: the misfits benefited from being able to use like a film genre to inform Mm. their work so i think that's uh Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. in a way, also connected to Hotel California.
0: I do want to touch on the video. Uh, It was directed by George A. Romero. At the time uh, of the video, Romero was actually in Toronto filming uh, Bruiser and and needed a band to perform during the film's final murder scene. The Misfits agreed to perform in the film and to record two songs for the soundtrack in exchange for Ramiro directing their Scream video. So really cool. Only talks about it, too, is like it was just a handshake agreement, like straight up. We didn't do anything else. It was just like, buy the book. Hey, we'll do this for you. You do this for us. That's really cool. Uh, Seems simple. It did seem like there were some legal issues that arose from that and maybe (laughs) making kind of not a great contract out of it. But it, it, it had the right uh, um, Idea behind it for sure So I have something to play for you guys yeah. This is a cover um, By uh, the Drop Kills it, it came out on the record Punk Goes Acoustic
1: a Two arms up your spine It's crawling to your brain A freezing touch of fear He's driving me insane All of us try to fight drive from the side I can't wait to hear you scream.
3: But that's what his voice sounds like. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the singer. I really like his voice. Michael Gray. But it yeah, does no, kind of have a awesome. schmaltziness to it.
0: Absolutely you know? it does. It absolutely does. There's like there's so many elements of it that like when you put them together shouldn't work at all, but but absolutely it's do, so polished opinion. for punk.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, lay it on me. If Scream were a Halloween thing, oh, no. oh, no. what would
2: it Good be? Good question,
3: Thank Ari. You,
0: I think that Scream would be uh, eating like the leftover grapes and spaghetti from like a, a neighborhood, <laughs> the neighborhood haunted house. Ew, that, that
1: eyeballs and brains. That's
0: what sucks. I think Scream was. <laughs> oh, That's when you disgusting. put it that way, when you put it that Wait, way. Wait, no,
3: like, I got you. Yeah, remember Creepy Crawlers?
0: Yes. That's what yeah, they'd be. That, like, I candy making
3: set where you, would like, inject gel into, like, Play-Doh molds. They'd be that.
0: Ari, 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 Ari Stidham. Is there any uh, projects out there musically, um, acting-wise, or anything that you're up to that you want to uh, alert our listeners to? Certainly. Um,
2: I'm in a radio drama
0: podcast
2: called The Martian Broadcast where I play Orson Welles. Um, and that's available anywhere you can find podcasts. You search my name and The Martian Broadcast should come up. And uh, I, think that, I think that'll do it.
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or themes you want to see on a future episode, drop us a line at podcast at and as a very special treat we're gonna play this one out with ari's track killer from the doctor television record jacuzzi Louie," streaming everywhere we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme
1: if i start a fire i'm gonna put it out Hell yes, I'm a liar, a fighter. I'ma shut it down. Whoa. And I don't care what you don't like, what you don't like about me. No. Cause I'm a kid and I kill everything that I really love, that I really love.